topic that's very close to the heart of uh, Bruegel here. Uh, all the structural uh, issues of uh, reviving Europe's uh, economic growth is very important uh, for us. Um, and the role that zombie firms or productivity lagging firms actually plays is a very important uh, part of our uh, creative destruction potential in, in, in Europe uh, here. We've been working on that in Bruegel already since, um, since a long time too. For instance, in the, the last... Um, <coughs> blueprint that we did on, on the future of manufacturing. There was also, we have two contributions that particularly focus on, on this uh, uh, problem of Europe of how to deal with creative destruction uh, here. Um, for instance, uh, Gerlo, but we will talk about that later, I guess, already identified how important uh, in the whole uh, adoption of digital technologies, how important these lagging firms uh, are and continuing lagging firms uh, here. Also, we have another chapter that really deals with um, how the uh, how much Europe is characterized by static firms that uh, fail to, to, to grow here. Uh, so it's both in terms of, of uh, growing and entry as well as exit uh, that this uh, creative destruction part uh, of Europe is actually failing uh, here. So we're very happy uh, to have today here um, work that the OECD has done on this uh, being presented because the OECD has really done a very great uh, work on this already also since a longer time on, on these productivity growth differentials here. And the study that they are going to present today uh, is really a very important cross-country, cross-sector um, analysis of uh, zombie firms and, and how that actually uh, affects uh, the overall productivity. Uh, and it will also allow to compare Europe uh, with, with also other countries uh, as well and zoom in on the different countries within Europe. Uh, here. I'm not going to take too much time here. I think it's uh, high time to leave the floor uh, for presenting uh, the study here. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, we have the two uh, authors here, Dan Andrews and Giuseppe Nicoletti. Um, but you will be presenting. No, I, you will be presenting. Okay. <laughs> I, I will start, yeah. but just let me start by saying that, that well, first of all, uh, thank very much uh, um, Bruegel to host this event and uh, give us the opportunity to illustrate uh, the results. Uh, second thing I would say is that I am just supervising this work, but the real authors are, three of them are here, you know, Dan, uh, Valentin, and uh, Filippos, and uh, there are two more authors uh, you know, in, in Paris. Um, so this has been a great team. They have been working a lot on productivity since a long time. And uh, the latest uh, result of this work is, um, is this, this, this project that we are presenting today, which is focusing on uh, exit policies. And um, if I get this to work, yes. <coughs> so. The, the occasion here is to, to, to this, this policy paper that comes up uh, uh, today and that uh, summarizes uh, uh, different technical background papers that have to do with uh, looking at the role of exit policies uh, for productivity growth. You know, yeah. So, yeah. So that, that that's the paper. <laughs> but uh, this is just a synthesis paper, and behind this there are several uh, uh, technical, more technical papers. So <clears throat> my role here is that I, I will try to, to give some, some kind of motivation and uh, you know, early um, overview of the, of the project and then uh, Dan uh, will, uh, will get into the details. So I mean, it's not, I, I think it's not a mystery for everyone that uh, the, there is a big problem with productivity uh, globally. 
there's a productivity slowdown going on, and the slowdown started before the crisis with uh, um, declining uh, multi-factor productivity. Uh, this is, of course, the OECD average, but uh, you can observe similar patterns in many, many OECD countries. Then this was kind of followed by a, 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 a collapse in uh, investment and you know, the capital deepening in, uh, in uh, many OECD countries, which is still, uh, you know, and, bo and both the, the lower rate of growth of uh, MFP and, uh, and of uh, investment and the lower, lower rate of investment are still going on many years after the crisis. So we, th these, are, these are dragging down labor productivity and uh, many people uh, around uh, the globe have been scratching their heads of why this is happening and to what extent are structural factors at play, to what extent uh, policies can do something about it. Uh, one uh, contribution of the OECD in this area uh, has been to uh, and, and I say that uh, we follow in this, the steps of uh, Carlo Altomonte, who was one of the first ones to point out that uh, just looking at averages doesn't really you know, help very much to understand the causes of uh, uh, productivity weaknesses and uh, doesn't help, help either understanding the possible remedies. So we have been, we've been increasingly using uh, firm level data to look at uh, this issue. And when you, you, you do that, you know, one of the main results we, we, uh, we found was that uh, there's an increasing, increasing dispersion in uh, productivity uh, uh, within countries. And especially there is, a, there is um, an increasing gap building up between those firms that continue to grow uh, and are the frontier, the global frontier, and the firms that uh, are... Um, lagging behind. So, uh, and this, this kind of, uh, you know, pattern is, um, is quite common across countries, not in, any, in every countries, but country, but uh, in many countries. So when, when, uh, when you look at this figure, you know, what, what is striking is that it's not so much uh, uh, the fact that uh, frontier firms are growing much faster than in the past, but it's uh, more like uh, the fact that uh, uh, laggard firms are not catching up. So, you know, the, the, the three stylized facts that emerge from this um, firm level analysis is that uh, uh, you, you've seen the rising dispersion in productivity, but also we see that uh, the best firms are, you know, have always, you know, it's more, always harder for the best firms to be able to grow. Huh? So, um, you know, it, there is kind of a problem in reallocation of resources um, from uh, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the weakest firms towards uh, um, firms that have higher productivity. Uh, you would expect in, in, in principle that, you know, when productivity dispersion increases, then you would uh, have uh, uh, more reallocation towards the highest productivity firms. But this is not the case. And, uh, and this is a, a real conundrum. Uh, and then this goes along with uh, a declining business dynamism. We, we see less entry rates in all countries, and, uh, and especially, and this is uh, the, the, the specific topic of this, uh, of this paper, we see an increasing burden of uh, the weakest firms. Uh, these firms, we, we call them zombie firms, are firms that uh, 
are defined in various ways, but uh, the way you know we define them uh, in this project is firms that are quite old and have not been able to cover their interest payments on their debts for uh, a number of years. <clears throat> now, if you look at the data, uh, the striking fact is that the, the, the burden of these uh, firms uh, in uh, OECD economies have been increasing. And to some extent, it is normal that these firms, you know, the burden of the, these firms increases during a big crises. But what, what is less uh, uh, common is that uh, this increase keep uh, persisting uh, after the crisis. And, uh, and also, you know, as you can see, you know, the, the, the curve there is uh, the average productivity of these firms. So while these firms are increasing, uh, are increasing their share on the economy, uh, their productivity is going down. So uh, this is really a, a ball and chain that is a kind of dragging down productivity in, uh, in many countries, especially uh, southern European countries, uh, in which you have... Um, uh, this, uh, this, 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 these two factors, the fact that, that the productivity of this firm is going down, uh, their share is going up, uh, dragging uh, uh, down uh, productivity growth. Now, um, of course, this, you know, the questions there are why are these firm, you know, the, the share of these firms rising? Why is this, uh, the share rising? And why um, uh, aren't they just exiting markets or being restructured in a, an effective way so that they can kind of, from the status of zombies, uh, kind of res resurrect somehow? Um, the problem is that uh, there's not much analysis on that, and one of the, the, the reasons for that is that uh, uh, so far most of the research has been, you know, focusing on uh, entry conditions and not so much on exit conditions. You know, I give uh, here a sample of uh, the many, many uh, journal articles uh, devoted to entry barriers, uh, administrative burdens uh, on startups and so on, but quite, a, you know, relatively few um, research, uh, researchers have focused on the exit side. So this is where uh, the OECD contribution comes. And, and it's focused around uh, three, um, three main points. The first one is to generate data in order to be able to uh, compare across countries uh, the um, conditions, you know, the institutional conditions that uh, may facilitate exit or restructuring of uh, zombie firms. Um, and, and this is, you know, by focusing on, on, on a, a number of features of insolvency regimes that uh, are relevant for um, the, uh, either uh, the, the ability of ent failed entrepreneurs to, uh, uh, to go, get, get back into business or uh, the ability of uh, the insolvency regimes to um, promote a quick and, uh, you know, relatively cheap uh, uh, um, way to restructure firms. Uh, so the second one is that we 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 uh, we also identified a number of channels through which uh, um, uh, the zombies the, the existence and the uh, increasing share of zombie firms may affect uh, aggregate productivity, which are not all obvious, as Dan will point out later. Some are direct, some are indirect. Uh, and then finally, we look at the, um, what is the scope for policy 
to, uh, to remedy to this situation. So, of course, one of the clear uh, areas in which it should focus is on solvency uh, reform, re reform of insolvency regimes, something that uh, the EU has uh, uh, looked at uh, in 2016, and uh, I think at uh, European level there are uh, discussions uh, in, in order to see how to implement the, the um, proposals by the, the Commission, and some countries have done some, some progress in that. Um, and, but but, but the, 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 uh, the originality, I think, of the work uh, that was uh, undertaken by the OECD team is also to look at uh, to what extent these insolvency regimes are complementary to other uh, measures. Uh, there's a clear complementarity with the banking system and banking reform. Uh, then we'll explain why. Uh, but also other policies that are less obvious, uh, obviously related to... Uh, to, uh, to productivity and to, to zombies and so on. So with that, uh, you know, and, and, and including uh, uh, policies that uh, can smooth uh, the, the costs, the social costs that are related uh, uh, with uh, the, um, you know, exit of firms. Um, now, uh, I will, you know, without further delay, I will, you know, hand over the floor to Dan, which will get into the into the real uh, substantive issues. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Giuseppe, for that introduction. And thank you also for inviting us here. This is a, a great forum. So what I'm going to do today is, is, is talk about two things. So firstly, to give you some more insights into the problem, which Giuseppe um, briefly introduced. And secondly, um, is what can we do about it in from the perspective of policymakers. So the first conjecture of, of, this, of this project was that weak firms were stifling productivity growth and the increasing survival of these firms. And Giuseppe has already shown you some preliminary evidence where he, sh he documented the rise in the share of zombie firms on average across OECD countries and the fact that they're surviving with increasingly diminished relative product productivity. Now, when you dig deeper and look at, look at the country level here, you see that these, these patterns are actually evident across a number of European countries as well. Um, the blue bar shows the share of zombie firms, which is similar to what Giuseppe showed earlier. And we see that this has risen in many countries. But more importantly, we find that the share of productive resources sunk in zombie firms has also increased. So if you take Italy, for instance, the blue diamond shows that on the eve of the crisis, about 7% of the capital stock uh, in Italy was sunk uh, in zombie firms. By 2013, that figure had risen to about 19%. So this is, this is, a, this is a question that we, an issue that we, we dig deeper, and it turns out that, that the resources sunk in these firms uh, turn out to be of first order magnitude for, for understanding productivity weakness in OECD countries. And in a sense, a lot of this work has been inspired by the studies um, in Japan after the asset price bust in the early 1990s. Which, which documented a similar rise in zombie firms, and more importantly, an increase in the capital stock sunk in these firms. So when we think about the consequences of this for agri-productivity, when we delay the exit or restructuring of zombie firms in our economy, it can have harmful effects for productivity through a number of channels. So firstly, it can just simply drag down the average unweighted productivity in the economy. So there's more weak firms surviving, so on, on average, productivity is weaker, regardless of the size of the firms. But more importantly, and this is the issue that we really focus on in this project, um, it stifles reallocation. So in a sense, when you're trapping valuable skills, labour, credit and capital in zombie firms, there's an opportunity cost to that. 
And what that means is it crowds out growth opportunities for more productive firms, uh, which basically are, uh, affects reallocation in the economy. And finally, there's an effect um, in terms of deterring entry. So in a sense, if you think that the survival of zombie firms congests markets, uh, it suppresses profitability opportunities, then in a sense, you can think of that as being equivalent to entry barriers rising in the economy. So a firm that's considering entering now has to be more productive than otherwise to be able to cope with, with these more suppressed market conditions. So in a sense, what we do in, the, in this project is we mainly follow through um, Proposition 2 here uh, in terms of our empirical analysis, but we also find some evidence for 3 as well. And essentially what we do is we marshal um, cross-country harmonised firm level data and we try to understand what happens to healthy firms when they operate in industries where a larger proportion of the capital stock is sunk in zombie firms. And essentially what we, what we sort of uh, observe here are two consequences for potential growth. The first is that uh, when a healthy firm operates in an industry where more capital is sunk in zombie firms, they tend to undertake less investment and hire, hire fewer workers than otherwise. So, and the main result here is in terms of suppressing capital deepening in the economy, which Giuseppe mentioned as a, as a key constraint on post-crisis potential growth. Now, the second proposition and the second finding is that whilst there's an effect on, on non-zombie firms on average, we find that it's actually the more productive firms that, that, are, that are most adversely affected here. So in a sense, what should happen in a well-functioning economy is that the most productive firms should be able to attract resources and grow to underpin their expansion. And that raises aggregate productivity through more efficient reallocation. And what we find is that in sectors where more of the capital stock is sunk in zombie firms, it's the firms of relatively higher multi-factor productivity growth that have problems expanding. There's also, this is also true for young firms as well. So let's dig a bit, a little deeper in terms of these mechanisms. So, and, and to think about, you know, how, how big these magnitudes are. So what we do here is a simulation in 2013 where we say, what would happen to non-zombie business investment, so the business investment of healthy firms, um, if the zombie capital share was lowered to the minimum level in the sample? So what we see, for instance, in Italy, we're looking at a, at a potential gain to business investment of around 2.5% in cross-sectional terms. An alternative counterfactual here is to ask what would have happened to business investment in Italy if the zombie capital share hadn't risen after the crisis. And basically our estimations there suggest that perhaps one-third of the weakness in post-crisis aggregate business investment in Italy could have been avoided if the zombie capital share hadn't increased. So, you know, so, so the, these estimates of, of the economic magnitude are non-trivial, to be sure. Now, the second thing we find is that there's also an effect on multi-factor productivity growth. And this essentially is consistent with the idea before when, where, in a sense, when you trapped valuable capital in, in zombie firms, it becomes more, more difficult for more productive firms to grow. Now, I should mention here that this isn't the full economic impact. So what we're doing here is we're focusing on the effect of zombie congestion on the growth opportunities of healthier and more productive firms within narrowly defined sectors. So this is a purely within industry effect. Now, it's likely that these effects are bigger if you, if you believe that capital can also flow across industries. As I mentioned before, we're also abstracting from the, from the effects on unweighted productivity and also the effects on entry. 
Now, the question is, okay, how, how are these adverse effects of zombie congestion on aggregate growth realised? Now, when you go to the literature, there's two possible channels here. The first one is what I mentioned before. When you, ha when you have more zombie firms persisting in the market, what happens is that you, they, they absorb valuable labour, um, they basically drive down prices and profitability opportunities. So, in a sense, market conditions just become less attractive for investment. The second channel is that basically, um, and Giuseppe mentioned the banking sector before, that in a sense, these zombie firms are being kept alive by, by banks. And in a sense, you can think of there being an opportunity cost from banks continuing to, to extend credit to zombie firms in terms of the foregone credit that could have gone to healthier firms. And this is some work that we've done with Philippos from the, from the ECB, where essentially we link banks to zombie firms. And what we, sh and what we find is that Essentially, when you look at, for instance, um, in sectors with a greater share of the capital stock sunk in zombie firms, you tend to find that healthy firms report greater difficulty accessing bank credit. So this is some type of evidence for the, for the notion that zombie, the survival of zombie firms also undermines aggregate productivity growth through a misallocation of credit. So the big question is what to do. So we're going to focus on three main things today. The first is insolvency reform. And one of the reasons we're, we're focusing on insolvency reform is that, in a sense, these type of re regimes are crucial uh, for firm exit and restructuring, since they can bring debtors and creditors to the table to try to resolve financial distress in an orderly fashion. Now, one of the things we argue in the paper is that there's a number of market failures that basically make the, the winding up of, of zombie firms difficult. And in a sense, this then has key implications for aggregate growth, not only through this reallocation channel, but also through a selection effect. So to the extent that basically insolvency regimes shape the cost of firm failure, that's also going to basically affect the types of entrepreneurs that choose to enter the economy and also the type of innovation strategies that, that, that they have. Now, one of the things that, one of the big obstacles that, that, we, that we encountered when we began the study is that when you look at basically the literature on insolvency regimes and economic growth and productivity, one of the big limitations is that we don't have very good indicators of the design of insolvency regimes across countries. So this is starting to change now, which I'll talk about soon. But the typical indicator you'd use is something from the World Bank doing business, which tells you the number of days to close a business or the cost to close a business. And our research over the last six years or so would, would show a negative correlation between these indicators and productivity, which I think makes sense. The problem that we always encountered was when we went to capitals and spoke to policymakers, they would ask us, well, what do we do? And in a sense, the problem was, was these World Bank indicators don't really have any policy lever underlying them. So in a sense, this motivated um, an OECD policy questionnaire to member country governments to try get at the key design features of personal and corporate insolvency regimes that are relevant for productivity and growth. And in particular, we were interested in those design features that affected the timely initiation and also resolution of insolvency and restructuring procedures. So we talk about this more in the, in the study, uh, but this is a broad sort of analytical framework for how we think about this. The indicator which is available on the website now, which has gone live, is structured around three main substantive blocks plus a miscellaneous block. The first one relates to basically uh, personal insolvency regimes. So 
Whilst we're looking at uh, firm productivity investment here, which is mainly a corporate uh, insolvency thing, the design of personal insolvency regimes is still relevant because we know that in many countries when entrepreneurs start a new business, they have to post personal collateral or guarantees. So in a sense, you have this situation where the design of the personal insolvency regime, which affects behaviour before firm incorporation, tends to come back and bite entrepreneurs later in case of failure. So one of the key metrics here is essentially the, the, the number of years to discharge. So what that means, for instance, is if Giuseppe starts a business and fails, if he was in Estonia, for instance, he would have to sit on the sidelines for five years before he could start a new business. If it was in the UK, however, it would only be one year. So you can imagine that as being relevant for productivity in terms of incentivising risk-taking. So in Estonia, for instance, Giuseppe might sort of enter with a much more cautious business strategy. In the UK, where failure is less heavily penalised, he might enter with a lot more radical business strategy. The second block talks about prevention and streamlining measures. Now, these are relatively new things. Um, they essentially came out of the, the IMF Article 4 recommendations after the financial crisis in Europe. And, and these relate to you know, the, the availability of out-of-court settlements, um, the extent to which there's early warning mechanisms. So are there online um, instruments where firms can actually try to assess whether they're in distress? And most importantly for this study uh, is the corporate restructuring block. So um, th this, this entails uh, about five main sub-indicators. Sub I'll just mention briefly the, one of the main indicators here is the ability of creditors to initiate a restructuring plan. So in only about um, one-third of um, OECD countries, uh, sorry, in, in one-third of OECD countries, creditors cannot initiate a restructuring plan. So you can basically imagine a situation where you have a zombie firm that, that is in trouble, it probably needs to exit or somehow downsize. And in one third of OECD countries, the creditors can't take early intervention to try to deal with that problem. There's a number of other indicators there that also matter. So just to, to fast forward here, um, what we do then is we construct um, cross-country policy indicators where we sum these three main blocks and we end up with this indicator here, which um, is mainly for 2016 in terms of the bars. Uh, it's increasing in the extent to which the insolvency regime is likely to entail barriers to firm exit or barriers to corporate restructuring. In a sense, one of the interesting things here is that there's wide, widespread cross-country heterogeneity in the design of insolvency regimes. On the right-hand side, we have, we have a number of countries where there's much scope to reform their insolvency regime. I mentioned the UK before on the left-hand side. That, based on our metric, that has the, um, has the friendliest insolvency regime to restructuring in the OECD. The diamond then shows what was the state of play in 2010. So we see that there has been some reforms since 2010, um, and this particularly is related to the prevention and streamlining measures I mentioned before in Europe. There's also some action on the barriers to restructuring front. But in a sense, the personal cost of failures block really hasn't changed in a number of countries. So, the, so having sort of come up with these new indicators of insolvency regime design, we then try to demonstrate their relevance for understanding the three sources of contemporary weakness in OECD productivity that Giuseppe mentioned. And in a sense, uh, our results suggest that, that essentially cross-country differences in the design of insolvency regimes are relevant for each of these factors. So the first main finding is that in countries with um, more stringent insolvency regimes, 
we tend to see a larger share of the capital stock sunk in zombie firms. And this comes about through two channels. Firstly, zombie firms are less likely to exit. But secondly, and more importantly, uh, it's less likely that zombie firms or weak firms are rehabilitated um, and subsequently improve their productivity. And what that means is that, um, and, and that's significant because we know that there are social costs um, in terms of job churn from firm exits. So if an insolvency regime can basically uh, affect aggregate productivity through restructuring and rehabilitation as opposed to firm exit, you can imagine those political economy costs being a lot lower. Secondly, um, you, it, it follows that if, zombie if insolvency regimes affect the capital sunk in zombie firms, well, then they should also have implications for the extent to which that capital flows to more productive firms. And that is also true. And finally, um, they also basically have important implications for the ability of laggard firms to catch up to the global frontier. So Giuseppe mentioned at the start of the presentation that one of the key micro-dimensions of the productivity slowdown is this increasing dispersion between frontier and laggard firms. And one of the key explanations for that is that the forces of technological adoption or diffusion in OECD countries have broken down. So this is the final contribution of this work. So just to give you a sense of the magnitude of these effects, the first chart here <coughs> shows the impact of reducing barriers to corporate restructuring on the zombie capital share in a number of countries. Uh, the blue bar is the impact of reducing uh, the 2010 indicator to best practice. So for instance, in Greece, you could potentially get a reduction in the zombie capital share of about nine percentage points. That's, that's considerable or, and economically significant given that, given that the zombie capital share for the Greek economy is about 28%. The red diamonds then show, for instance, the, the extent to which reforms since 2010 have, have gone some way to alleviating this problem. So, for instance, in Greece, uh, we estimate that the reforms since 2010 will likely lead to a reduction in the zombie capital share of about five percentage points. <coughs> we then show in our empirical analysis that um, in countries with better insolvency regimes, you tend to see that capital flows more readily to more productive firms, uh, which raises the efficiency of capital reallocation and multi-factor productivity growth. Again, there's some, uh, some simulations there showing the, the gains to multi-factor productivity growth for, uh, via improved re capital reallocation of insolvency reform. And finally, um, this shows the impact of insolvency reform, particularly re related to barriers to corporate restructuring on the productivity catch-up of laggards to the global frontier. So for instance, in Italy, for instance, a reform to their barriers to restructuring to the sample minimum could essentially uh, improve laggard firm productivity by about 2.7 percentage points. Uh, when you dig deeper into the study, you'll notice that basically this is a differential effect between those firms um, that operate in sectors that are highly exposed to insolvency regimes. So these are firms that operate in sectors where there's lots of firm entry and exit relative to firms that enter in sectors of less, with less creative destruction. So in a sense, the, 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 key, the key mechanism behind this, we, we argue, is that in a sense, when you adopt new technologies, you can't do this in isolation. It requires reconfigurations of workplaces, changes to business strategies, and more generally to organisations. And this is going to be a lot easier to do in countries where barriers to restructuring are lower. The other thing we find is that there's actually a complementarity between insolvency reform and other policies as well. And in particular, we find that insolvency reform can actually increase the bang for the buck of reductions in entry barriers. And there's more information in the appendix on this. So the second thing that we, that we think is important here to address the zombie firm and misallocation issue 
is financial sector reform. And this is some work that we've done with the ECB where Philippos uh, courageously matched uh, banks to firms, uh, he can, which took a, probably three months to do. Uh, and essentially what we did here is we, we tried to study the links between zombie firms and banks depending on the health of the banks. And in a sense, what we find, once we sweep out a bunch of, uh, of uh, country-specific time-varying industry shocks, so for instance the effects of the business cycle, we find that basically zombie firms are much more likely to be connected to weak banks. And in a sense, we argue um, that this is some evidence to support the idea that zombie firms are being kept alive by bank forbearance in Europe. So this is the idea that when banks get into trouble, they're, they're reluctant to basically write off these loans to zombie firms as non-performing, because if they did, they would actually have to raise fresh capital and they come across up against their regulatory barrier, regulatory buffer, I should say. The second thing we, we do is we study the aggregate implications of this connection. And we find that um, in sectors where, where, where there's more weak banks, uh, capital flows less readily to productive firms. And in a sense, uh, Philippos and myself argue that maybe about one third of the adverse impact of zombie congestion on capital misallocation can be accounted for by problems in the banking sector. And the key, the key policy implication of this is that we need to do something about non-performing loans. Uh, and particularly the capitalisation of banks. So I think most people would agree with that. Now, as, as it turns out, the actual the effectiveness of basically these, these NPL resolution programs turn out to be conditioned by the insolvency regime of a country. So you can imagine um, in a country where there's significant barriers to corporate restructuring, banks are going to be a lot more reluctant to call in these loans to zombie firms because they know that it's going to take a long time to be able to, to get the money back, and they may never get the money back. So in a sense, they have an incentive to engage in forbearance and bet on the resurrection of these firms by hoping that the economic cycle picks up. This chart here shows, for instance, how a country's insolvency regime conditions uh, the impact of an improvement in bank health on the zombie firm share. So, the first thing to note is that the UK is at the best practice of the insolvency reform here. So focus on Latvia or Estonia, for instance. If they were to basically uh, reform their barriers to corporate restructuring to the UK level, what you would see is that an improvement in bank health could actually translate into a almost three percentage point greater reduction in the zombie firm share than otherwise. So in a sense, this points out a complementarity between uh, initiatives to basically resolve NPLs uh, and also insolvency reform. We then, we then go a bit further and, and think more about the, the barriers, the financial sector barriers, I should say, to technological diffusion. And we study, for instance, uh, the impact of different financial factors on the catch-up of laggard firms to the global frontier via more efficient technology adoption. And one of the key findings here is that you know, investment in, in intangibles is, is crucial for productivity and particularly adoption. We know that, uh, that when firms basically want to adopt those cutting-edge ideas from the frontier, they need to do R&D themselves. They need to have, have decent managerial capability and so forth. And in a sense, when you think about the predominant mode of financing intangibles, this isn't through the banking sector. This tends to be more related to non-banking finances and sources, particularly equity financing. So what we show here is we have a, a, a few pieces of evidence that shows the, the impacts of, for instance, on the left-hand side of, of increasing the, the size of the venture capital sector uh, on productivity catch-up of laggards. Uh, and secondly, and more importantly, 
um, on the right-hand side, we, do, we show that the design of the corporate tax system is, is crucial. In almost all OECD countries, uh, the corporate tax system favours debt financing over equity financing. And this mainly relates to the ability to basically deduct interest payments. And in a sense, what we show here is that there are significant gains um, for laggard firms to catch up by, by reducing the debt bias in the tax system, which would in turn encourage uh, and also nurture greater sources of equity financing. So finally, um, what we've argued here is that basically a number of OECD countries need to do, do two main things to address this zombie firm problem. Firstly, insolvency reform, and secondly, coupled with financial sector reform. Now, we're confident that this will raise aggregate productivity growth, but one of the channels through which this will raise aggregate productivity growth is a greater churning of jobs and firms. So this then raises a number of political economy considerations. There are going to be social costs involved in this process. So the third thing we argue is that these insolvency and financial sector reform policies should be flanked by well-designed activation policies. And in a sense, what we show um, is we study the, the policy and structural factors that affect um, the time it takes for a worker who's displaced by firm exit to return to work. And one of the key findings here is that active labour market policies are crucial. So these relate to not only retraining programs but also job placement services. And these tend to be much more successful in, in returning displaced workers to work than, say, passive measures such as long-lasting uh, unemployment benefits. Uh, we also show that policies that promote residential mobility are, cru are crucial. So this relates to the tax wedge, but also, for instance, the design of taxations of, of housing markets. So, for instance, transaction taxes and buying and selling properties. And finally, some key policy complementarities emerge. So we find that spending on these active labour market policies are much more uh, effective in countries that have decent public sectors, so have efficient public sectors, so the, the money is allocated properly. But more importantly, uh, in countries that actually have low entry barriers for, for new firms. So what we do here is we simulate the impact of, of increasing active labour market spending um, by a quarter of a percentage point of GDP on the re-employment probability of a worker displaced by firm exit. So in countries that have low entry barriers, you're basically getting um, a 6% increase in the re-employment prob probability. Whereas in countries of high entry barriers in product markets, you're looking at about half the effect. And in a sense, this is consistent with the idea that, and the literature that Giuseppe mentioned earlier, on the important effects of entry barriers, not only on productivity, but also on job creation. We know that young firms disproportionately drive job creation in a lot of OECD countries. So in a sense, if you don't let those firms enter, you can't really expect an active labour market policy to, to, be, to be fully effective. So I'm going to leave it there. Um, here's a brief summary, uh, which I think I've touched on a number of these things already. We think there's a strong case to revive productivity growth uh, via basically policies that improve the efficiency of corporate restructuring. But it's crucial that these policies are basically flanked by well-designed active labour market policy. So I'll leave it there and thank you very much.
Thank you very much. Uh, this is really an excellent uh, piece of work that you're doing here. I also am very happy with the more positive note to end that, yes, we can revive productivity growth here, uh, but at least we know now way better how to deal with uh, here. Now, that means that our discussant really has a hard job uh, to try to <laughs> come up with, uh, with comments here, but uh, I think... Uh, Carol, you are the best placed uh, since you also have worked on this issue very substantially. Um, perhaps a bit more on Italy <laughs> than um, uh, you, so I'm, I'm sure that you'll still be able to come up with some uh, uh, good comments on this too. Carol, floor Thank you. Thank you, Renilde, and thanks to, to Giuseppe and Dan for the opportunity of discussing. Uh, uh, this, this, this excellent piece of work, actually. Uh, when I was asked to act as a discussant, I, I could clearly see the cons of accepting, which is uh, the summarizing and discussing in 15 minutes uh, what is actually a vast amount of papers and research that has been going on. They not only have the, the story of uh, of, uh, uh, of entrants of befer uh, of accidents of befers, but also the work of Giuseppe Ombarias to entry and the work of Dan and Chiara on uh, laggards and uh, the work of Carlo on uh, employment. I mean, there's a whole bunch of research coming up on firm level data from the OECD. So it's very tough to, uh, let's say, summarize in particular also the zombie project in a way in 15 minutes. On the pro side, however, uh, the project is super interesting, as you've seen, and um, uh, it's already quite uh, very well read in the academic community uh, because uh, we have already seen preliminary results. So I was a bit aware, uh, I mean, uh, of, uh, of, of their results and uh, the way they were coming out. Also, as Renilde was mentioning, uh, being an Italian is an advantage because uh, uh, clearly Italy is probably the country that has most to gain from uh, the restructuring of zombie firms, as Dan has shown in some of the statistics. So uh, I clearly here have a, a natural competitive advantage in this. Um, so what I will be discussing essentially is, uh, is three points uh, uh, that touch a, a number of different papers that they have. Uh, and then I will have uh, one last uh, policy comment uh, more on the on the caveat side. So the three points are between academics and and uh, and policy, and then uh, uh, and then later on. So the first point I would like to touch upon is what is this? What is the nature of the virus behind zombie firms? Why zombie firms uh, emerge? What can we? What do we know about that? Uh, the second is about the idea that uh, this congestion of zombie firms leads to, and whether and to what extent it leads to the contagion effect, so that also good firms uh, in the end uh, are hampered by the presence of zombie firms, which is, I think, uh, a very interesting point of debate. Uh, still contrasting views on this. And uh, in general, then, my last point, I will touch upon some of my, of my recent research on uh, putting out you know, a, a discussion on what we should do to preserve the overall health of the system. And I will touch upon actually here the, the banking sector and the reform of the banking sector and take advantage also of the presence of, uh, of Mario Nava here uh, among us. Uh, and then one last caveat. So on the on, on point, uh, you, you probably know this blockbuster movie from Hollywood. It's called World War Z with Brad Pitt acting. Uh, uh, it was on zombies, of course, human zombies in this case. Uh, but the whole story of the movie was what was the virus uh, causing the zombie disease. No? So um, the title of the slide comes from this. I mean, and uh, rather than reading the slide that Dan discussed uh, through time, I'm reading it uh, across uh, indicators. And basically, if you look at that, you see that uh, the share of capital and workers that zombie firms have is larger than the share of the zombie firms on the industry, which implies, by definition, that zombie firms tend to be larger 
both in capital and labor, than the medium firm in the industry. So the zombies are not small firms, and zombies are large, relatively large firms, which creates uh, an interesting political economy problem because employment is there, so they are all, I mean, holy grails for politicians to touch upon, but I'm, I don't want to enter into this discussion here. Uh, but let's focus on the fact that zombie firms are larger. So basically, the bottom line is that Zombie firms are inefficiently large and therefore over-resourced. So there is clearly misallocation. There is capital going to firms that shouldn't receive capital, and, and then they grow. So the then question comes is whether this misallocation happens between or within sectors. And uh, from the evidence of their works and also the stuff we have done with, with, the, with the blueprint here at Bruegel, uh, there's, there are a number of hints that this, this evidence is within industries, essentially. Uh, there are these sort of frontier shocks. Uh, there is a, a nice paper, recent paper now in the making by, by uh, Fabiano, Gianmarco, a number of Italians, uh, actually, on Italy. Uh, and, and basically what we are seeing is that within an industry, uh, there is this technology shock, uh, which can be captured by, by some firms and then become frontier firms, and somehow for a number of characteristics that the, the other firms are unable within the same industry to catch up. Now, these characteristics can be either idiosyncratic to the firm, so family firms, for example, uh, can have more difficulties in catching up uh, because of internal uh, uh, sluggish uh, organizational uh, schemes. I'm working now on this, and it's very fascinating results as work of John Varinen, for example, telling you that how tough it is for firms to have a corporate Organize, a corporate strategy that say uh, foster restructuring, which is not the case um, in particular in family firms, or they can be institutional characteristics. You know, the debt versus capital incentives might be such that uh, you tend to still have uh, uh, bank debt uh, to, compared to, to capital, and therefore uh, those firms more exposed to banks would be less likely to be able to catch up with the frontier firms. This is another indication. So by the bottom line, however, I want to point out uh, with this first comment is that uh, clearly zombie firm is the pathological outcome of a phenomenon which is lagger firms. I mean, uh, so I would encourage uh, uh, the, 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 and they are, do they are doing in, in this direction, but in general, policymakers should don't think that if I solve the zombie firm problem, then the problem is solved. Uh, zombie firm is just the outcome of firms that are becoming laggards and then gradually becoming uh, zombies. So, uh, it's important to keep on doing research on why uh, laggards are, are, are taking place and what is hampering this uh, technology catch-up uh, from frontier to, to, to lagger firms. Uh, and then, of course, uh, cleaning, cleaning uh, from, from the outcome that we already see, which is zombie firms. So that's my first comment. The second point is the, the graph. This is taken directly from the paper. I guess Dan only presented the, the left-hand side graph. This is... Um, essentially the congestion and access to finance to LT firms. Uh, so I think it's the work uh, done with, uh, uh, with Filippos, right, on, uh, on the ECB, uh, on the ECB day, safe data. Uh, basically, what they show that there is a correlation between uh, the bank uh, loan availability to good firms and the share of sector capital uh, tied to, to zombies. Now, I think uh, uh, well, we have to be very clear here. I mean, uh, the evidence that, uh, that it, it's here comes, uh, as uh, if I recall correctly, from sectoral differences, okay? 
So in this piece of work, because of a limitation in the data, essentially uh, what you identify, you identify from sectoral differences within each country in a specific year. So contrary to other evidence that, that Dan has discussed, there's no country times industry fixed effect here. Sorry for the academic, uh, let's say, uh, um, uh, notation. So it could well be that if a sector is hit by a, a shock, let's say a textile uh, industry in a given country uh, in a given year, both zombie firms might be there because they will be put out, out from the market because of um, uh, the, the competition coming from China, but also uh, opportunities for profit could be lower in the same industry and therefore for a bank it would be more risky to lend uh, uh, to firms in that industry hit by the shock. That creates a natural, let's say, correlation with the presence of zombie firms but that's not necessarily a causation effect, okay? So that doesn't mean that because there are zombie firms then banks lend less to the good firms. It's just, it might just well be that because a sector has been hit by this idiosyncratic shock that affects both. In fact, uh, uh, there's a paper which uh, um, also in Italy that, that says and discuss, although they, uh, they confirm part of the results, on the other end they, they, they find a different uh, story. They find that uh, the aggregate effects on multifactor productivity and the growth of healthy firms from zombie firms are minimal according to this evidence. Now, I don't uh, necessarily agree with either one story or the other story. I only suggest here that uh, we do need to have uh, more analysis on uh, uh, what is a potentially very, uh, let's say, important interaction uh, in terms of the causal relation between zombie firms and, and, and bank lending. Uh, and, of course, uh, if we can go uh, on and beyond with the data limitation that currently affects uh, our analysis, that would be a very nice and interesting area of, of research. Also because if uh, causality can be proven from, from zombie firms to lending to health firms, that would give us an idea of what are the channels through which restructuring and reallocation takes place within an industry. And therefore, this is something that would allow us to not only measure reallocation, but also measure the drivers of reallocation, which is, I think, a very important story. Uh, third point uh, is about the overall health of the system. Uh, no, this is uh, the, 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 the stuff I'm, I've been working on. Um, and essentially, um, I have two facts that I have in the data. This is uh, the Fiji sample. So Germany, Fr uh, France, Italy, Spain, uh, Hungary, Austria, and UK uh, manufacturing. Um, this is one industry uh, in France. Uh, in, and these are firms observed over time. And what you see on the vertical axis is a proxy of access to finance, which is tangible assets over total assets. And what you see on the horizontal axis is the productivity of these firms. So as you can see, there is a lot of heterogeneity. Basically, firms with the same level of productivity within the same industry, within the same country, have a differential access to finance. Okay, and that's a fact. Uh, so that points to the fact that banks since most of these firms, 90% of these firms use banks as external lending as is typical in Europe, this points to the fact that banks tend to have an heterogeneous lending function, so to say. They don't lend the same uh, to the same firms, to, 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 to similar firms, or firms demand differently finance, which is one story or the other. Now, if uh, on the same firms you can compute uh, 
a structural indicator of uh, uh, credit constraint. You can, in the paper, that's what we do essentially. We, we derive from, from a structural theoretical model an indicator of access of credit constraint, implied credit constraint by the firm. Uh, so we don't need uh, survey data, basically. We just uh, look at balance sheet data, and you can derive out of this uh, an, an indicator of credit constraint at the firm level. Uh, you do realize that uh, this indicator of credit constraint at the firm level uh, correlates negatively uh, with the size of the firm, even controlling for productivity. Essentially, what you see here is the result uh, of the residual of a regression, where I regress uh, the size of the firms on productivity. What is unexplained by productivity is still correlates negatively with uh, the indicator of credit constraint, which implies fact number two, that banks tend to lend relatively more to large firms, even controlling for productivity. So not knowing what to do, a banks would rather prefer a large firm to a small firms because somehow it finds it less risky. Okay. So the bottom line is that uh, if you combine all these facts together, there is true a complementarity of insolvency reforms with bank health, which I think is a, a key message of this study where we have to, to, to think. So it's important to work on the, the insolvency reforms and on the bank health because the two go together. But however, it, it really depends on what you mean and how you define these uh, this, this policy regimes because if uh, within the same country and industry there is still a differential access to credit of firms for the same level of productivity, and if capital inflows seems to be misallocated towards firms that have uh, a higher net worth rather than... Uh, uh, higher productivity, which is uh, a finding which for Southern Europe has now also uh, been, uh, although not directly observed, but inferred from uh, uh, calibration of a model by Belgita, Gopinat, and co-authors. Uh, the bottom line is that uh, uh, you should prevent banks from repeating the same mistakes in a way. No, they have already lent uh, a lot of capital to firms that are now inefficient and are stuck there. You solve the problem now with these insolvency regimes and the reform of bank health and the complementarity between the two, but what tells you that you don't end up with the same problem again in the future? It depends on whether you either uh, reduce the debt bias in the corporate tax system and through the capital market uh, reforms, or if we still believe, and as I probably think in the medium term, banks will still be a very strong source of external financing for firms, then the structure, the incentives for banks should be less size dependent and more productivity dependent. I don't know how to do it, uh, but I point to the fact that in, in the data there is a clear, let's say, bias towards sides. Uh, and if there is a bias towards sides, I can solve the, the, the problem of zombie firms today, but in the next crisis I will have the same problem again. Uh, and that's the, the, third, uh, the third comment. Now, last caveat. Uh, this is uh, a productivity distribution. And uh, here what we have done, we have uh, we, on a sample of European firms that I've been uh, working with recently, uh, the one uh, we have discussed uh, uh, a few months ago here in Brussels in Confindustria, what I've, what I've played around is with, with, with essentially thresholds above which firms have certain winning characteristics, okay? So the seventh decile of the distribution looks like uh, if you are in the top 30% of firms, uh, you are what every policymaker would dream of, you know? 
you're innovative, you're international, you pay your workers based on incentives, uh, you make uh, lots of money, you grow, whatever. Then the, there are the followers of this uh, of this uh, of this these firms. The followers are, if you look at the numbers and the probability that you have as a firm certain characteristics uh, between the median and the seventh decile of the distribution. Then there is a second number of followers, firms that are still below the median productivity, but that are trying. Uh, that's between the second and the fifth percentile of the productivity distribution, and then. Ideally, there should be the zombie firms. The zombie firms are those in the first two decile of the productivity distribution. But watch out, we are not measuring zombie firms here with productivity. We are measuring it with uh, the interest rates uh, repayment for three years between 2007 and 2016, I think, over the last 10 years, yes. And we know that this is a period in which uh, financial constraints and growth of finance to non-financial corporation has been negative. So we have to be very clear that there is an overlap between those who call zombie firms and the first two decile uh, of the productivity distribution. It is likely that there is an overlap, uh, but uh, we have to make sure that uh, uh, what we call zombie firms, since what all that matters is that we kill the first part of the productivity, the exit, Exit should be in terms of productivity. Uh, it could there well be that there is a firm in the green area or even in the blue area that is still a zombie firm because of uh, relationship lending and the, the head of the bank doesn't like the owner of the firm uh, and it's a zombie firm, but that firm would actually be able to survive if capital is properly allocated to that firm. And this is a, a type two error that I would like to avoid, frankly, because it's essentially an option that we would be wasting. So uh, there is the baby and there is the dirty water, and we should be able to you know, distinguish between the two clearly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so, Carlo, I knew that you were going to do a good job, uh, and you prove, you've proven that uh, really. I think you, you raised two very important points. Is, is also look at why we have zombie companies, and particularly also the whole process from lagging companies uh, to, to zombie firms, I think, is, is a very important uh, point uh, here. Uh, also reminding us that these are not just only small firms, but also indeed larger firms. Um, and also the relationship with productivity, I, I think, definitely is, is important. We want to understand those that are just lagging behind but still have the potential to catch up in terms of productivity versus the ones that, that have a bad management or whatever and really need to exit as well. So I think also for the whole restructuring agenda, that's a very important point. And another very important point you made was that we also need to understand the mechanisms behind what the zombie effect is on aggregate productivity growth uh, here. Um, and for instance, understanding better the extent to which this is misallocation of financial um, structure here and, and with zombie banks, I think is very important also for driving the policy agenda. But you clearly raised the stakes in terms of what uh, issues we need to discuss for policies way broader uh, here also addressing this generation of zombies and also other mechanisms uh, here. So very good points. And I take it that you need a bit of time to digest on, on all these answers here. So perhaps we can first go for a uh, first round of, of questions from the floor here that will give you a bit more time to think about these big <laughs> questions that you, you rose uh, here. So um, can we start the discussion? Who has uh, already big questions? Yeah. <coughs> perhaps if you can identify first a bit 
Vignette Bilbao from the European Commission DG Research. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Bruegel and the OECD, and thank you very much for coming here and presenting. We are very avid users of this data, and uh, we are strong believers in the message. Having said that, I have two questions. The first one refers to the size of the problem of the zombie firms. And, um, you know, we have seen that there has been race, a race in numbers of zombie firms in many southern European countries. And I was wondering to what extent this is due to cyclical factors in terms of the crisis and, you know, the fact that many of these companies uh, have been um, not able to have, you know, strong demand, etc. And whether this is actually the, the numbers that you have in zombie firms here are related or are mixing a little bit these structural factors of bad management, et cetera, with cyclical factors and whether the size of the problem then needs to be recalculated a little bit in that sense. And the second one, and I think that it was already touched upon, you know, the discussion and Rinhilde with the comments is about, you know, the importance of the zombie firms with the productivity. In your presentation, you made a strong link between the two, but maybe, you know, the zombie firms are just a symptom and what it is really uh, underlying there and the policy response to increase the productivity may not be only or mainly uh, due to this number of firms, but we have to look at the underlying causes because when you see the number of firms that may be considered as zombie firms with the number of lagger firms, you really see a huge dispersion. So the capital and resources that, be, that are being sunk in by these companies may actually go into the other lagger firms and this may not have you know, a very impactful um, result on productivity growth in Europe. So maybe the underlying factors are different than yep. this, although it's certainly one of the factors contributing. Thank yep. you. Good questions. Good, good questions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, sorry. <laughs> but maybe you decide to, because you have to walk and minimize your transaction. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you. My name is Stefan Rees from the Netherlands uh, Poem Rep here in Brussels. First, big compliment to Renilde and Bruegel for having such a series of, uh, of events on structural economic policies. I think that we should keep on doing that uh, because the future of Europe discussion is not just about macroeconomics, but about exactly the things that we talk about here today. And of course, thanks to the, to the presenters. It was again fascinating uh, uh, to hear from, from your results. Um, um, I, I want to ask a question which is, which is a bit putting the results of your research in, in the context of other issues that we discuss here in Brussels around single market, for instance. Uh, taken as a starting point, the slide that you showed in the beginning of the huge difference between manufacturing and services when it is between uh, productivity performance of, of frontier firms and laggards, uh, um, where you would think, uh, and I don't think that the rest of the presentation touched on that, that there would be factors uh, why there is probably a larger share or amount of zombie firms and services than there is in manufacturing, and what lies at the cause of that. Uh, um, uh, possibly insolvency regimes can work out differently in different sectors. Uh, I'd, I'd very happily be, be convinced of that, but I could imagine that there's other issues uh, at stake. Uh, um, uh, for instance, the PMR and OCD. I mean, uh, if, if, there is, if there is evidence that on a national level, the level of restrictiveness of, of, of services market, for instance, plays a role in there, but of course, in, in, in the European context, uh, uh, with the services single market still functioning far less well than, than in goods, so you could imagine that there is 
cross-border aspects that we don't capture by looking at national states. Uh, you said that the potential uh, benefits uh, uh, within sectors don't take into account cross-sectoral effects. Cross-border effects could make them even larger. So there is, for me, the question to what extent uh, deficiencies in the functioning of the single market actually have to do with zombie firms in Europe and then particularly in services. Thank you. Yep. Very good question. So in view of the Holy Trinity, we take one more question and then for the first round, and then we go. So, yeah. uh, hello, Jorgos uh, Petropoulos from Bruegel. Uh, thanks for this nice presentation and uh, very nice discussion too. Um, a quick question. Um, how time consistent is uh, the definition of zombie firms? Uh, for example, if uh, a firm is classified as a zombie firm in 2012 uh, due to the crisis and all this uh, financial turmoil, could it be possible that at the recovery period in 2017 is healthy firm and not zombie? Thank you. Yeah, okay, so I think it's time to, to go for first uh, round of reactions here. Addressing some uh, general issues. So first of all, thanks to, to all the, um, the people that asked questions, uh, and especially thanks to Carlo for the, his very thoughtful and uh, thorough um, discussion of, of this paper. Um, so l let me just first uh, say something about uh, services. Okay. Uh, indeed, this is a, this is a very relevant issue. We haven't really um, looked at the, the uh, differences between uh, um, the prevalence of zombie firms in manufacturing versus services. Uh, maybe Dan has done it uh, in front of his uh, computer, but uh, it didn't come out of, uh, on paper yet. Um, but certainly we have looked at uh, the uh, extent to which um, the productivity slowdown is uh, related to uh, increasing productivity dispersion in uh, different sectors. Uh, and, and there you see for sure uh, that uh, much of this uh, uh, slowdown <coughs> originates from services, that there's a much, there's a much larger gap uh, opening up between uh, frontier firms and laggards in services than elsewhere. And uh, I was here uh, a couple of weeks ago at the commission presenting uh, um, uh, some work we've, we've done uh, in the context of the discussion on product and, um, product, uh, national productivity boards. And uh, for that, uh, uh, that uh, presentation, I we, we, you know, we had computed uh, the, the kind of charts that uh, we showed uh, at the beginning. Uh, focusing on EU countries because clearly services is an EU, a major EU problem. Uh, the single market in services is uh, very far from being achieved and it's uh, in our view and uh, in, the, in the light of uh, evidence that we have, one of the major causes of uh, uh, differences in productivity growth across, uh, not only across uh, uh, OECD countries, uh, European countries, but also, you know, comparing European and uh, uh, non-European countries. Uh, and the problem there is that it's a, it's a small market. Uh, um, there are a lot of barriers. 
not only in traditional services, but barriers are building up also in uh, digital services. You know, the cross-border uh, data transfer is, is, make, is made increasingly difficult, which is, uh, you know, a problem. And, um, and so, the, the, you know, when you look at uh, the, 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 the delay that laggers are taking over frontier firms in services, it's, it's much, much larger. And so certainly this, this puts the, the, the need for uh, getting back at the reform agenda in services at the European level uh, in, a, in, a, in a much closer focus. You know, and, uh, it should be. Uh, competition uh, and how strong that actually would be. Uh, first of all, explaining why you have so many zombie firms in particular sectors uh, here, and also what the effect is of zombies on the other firms in, in the sector too, and how strong product market competition is as a disciplining force here. Um, no, certainly, I mean, you know, one channel through which uh, zombies are kept alive is via bank forbearance and stuff like that, but you know, a, a more, even a more basic one is that if there's no competition, I mean, there's no incentive for firms to get out of, you know, to exit markets or to, you know, being forced out of markets or, or being forced to restructure. Or, uh, th there is, a, there is a, a big issue, for instance, uh, with, uh, with um, management abilities in many uh, European countries, especially Southern European countries. And, uh, you know, managerial abilities uh, depend on the incentives that are put on firms to find better managers and better way to organize production within uh, their, their firms. Uh, so certainly, you know, product market competition is an issue, and especially in some uh, service sectors. And here we have to go a little bit down uh, to a kind of a more detailed level. Uh, we know that, especially in uh, professional services, for instance, there is a big, big gap uh, to be filled. Uh, there are a lot of resistances um, to, to reform these sectors, but uh, this is a, an area where certainly there is a, a need for, for action. So that, that was the first... Uh, uh, Complementary policy and Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, to some extent, Dan touched upon this when he showed complementarities between entry uh, barriers, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and, you know, the, the impact of uh, changing insolvency regimes and so on. And, uh, clearly, uh, you know, entry barriers is one, one major issue in, uh, for instance, in uh, professional services. So, uh, yep. uh, perhaps Dan can uh, yeah. follow up on. Uh, I mean, yeah. Giuseppe invented the OECD product market regulation index, yes, so exactly, you're, you're, yeah. you're talking to the right guy. <laughs> yeah. um, the only thing I'd add on that is, yeah, we do, uh, in one of the underlying papers, we do control for PMR in our regressions, and we do find some evidence that. In countries with higher barriers to entry, you do, you do see that zombie there's more capital sunk in zombie firms in those sectors that should be more exposed to that policy. So sectors of naturally higher entry and exit demand. So there is, and in, in the other work we show that certainly productivity divergence was more marked in those services sectors where the rate of uh, product market reform slowed most. So that's a, I think that's a key point. I'll, I'll I'll start from the end and work and work uh, backwards. Just in terms of the the. The, the first um, question from the Commission. Um, so this issue of the size of the zombie firm problem and in particular the impact of cyclical factors versus structural factors is a recurring question. Uh, and um, certainly Valentin and Muge, um, uh, who, who did the 
you know, did the heavy lifting on the Walking Dead paper, spent a lot of time basically trying to understand the effect, the, the effect of cyclical factors. Um, I should note that as a starting point, all the analysis where we try to quantify the aggregate impacts of zombie congestion on, on, on business investment or, or capital reallocation, control for country times industry times year fixed effects. So it sweeps out um, country-specific cyclical shocks within a given industry. So, so in the econometrics, that's taken out. Um, we're also very careful, for instance, to drop southern European countries where you'd expect this problem to be, to be most um, severe. So Italy and Spain, and results are robust to that. Um, um, we do a number. Of, we do regressions in the pre-crisis period, and you know, that, and you see that basically the coefficients in terms of the size of the of um, the impact of zombie congestion on business investment and non-zombies is very similar. So, but obviously in the post-crisis period, the, the, the macro shares of zombies do rise, but when we get down to the actual econometric estimation, we're very careful to try to sweep out those effects. So clearly any kind of country-level chart is going to have some effect of the cycle in, but when we identify this in terms of econometrics, we control for that. Um, just in terms of the, the time consistency of the definition. So, um, you mentioned 2012 versus 2017. Um, you know, our database, uh, when we did this analysis, ran up to 2013. We now have a new cut of orbits, which is 2014 and 2015 data. We haven't been able to sort of update the analysis yet, but I know that the Bank of International Settlements in their last quarterly review replicated this analysis on listed firms um, for data up until 2015, and they showed that the zombie firm share continue, continued to rise in a number of countries. So, in a sense, you know, this is um, you know, one, of the big, um, one of the big questions here or, or quandaries is, you know, we know that creative, uh, recessions are often the time for creative destruction, uh, and we saw the zombie capital share rise during recessions, but then it continued to rise afterwards as well. And just coming back to Carlo's point, his final point about, you know, so insolvency reform may pay dividends now in terms of reducing zombie congestion, but what about for the next crisis? Um, and I think I'd, I'd, I'd push back on that idea a little bit. One of the, I don't know if we can go backwards in your slides at all. Uh, is that possible? Uh, no. Okay, so, so the, the UK is, is a really interesting um, um, case. We see that based on our indicators, uh, the UK has essentially the, the best insolvency regime in the OECD. When you see basically the, when the crisis hits, basically the zombie share in the UK actually declines, which I think is significant. In, in countries that have inferior insolvency regimes, you see big increases. So. You know, I think you can also think of insolvency regimes as be almost being like a macroprudential tool as well, in a sense. So, um, in terms of the other comments, so I really liked your point about um, the idea of zombie firms being a pathological outcome of, of laggard firms, and I would also add that it's almost a pathological outcome of misallocation as well. So, you know, I think um, one of the things in the study that we we're careful to do was to try demonstrate the implications of insolvency reform, not only for reducing zombie congestion, but also targeting those other sources of productivity weakness. So for instance, the catch-up of laggard firms to the global frontier, uh, the extent to which capital is misallocated across, zombie, off, across different firms. So you know, I agree that basically this is just a small part or a more intense part of a wider problem, and certainly more research on the laggard firm issue is key. Um, 
In terms of the... Um, can, I, can I add to that? Yeah. So it's not just only knowing where exactly in the, in the distribution the yeah. zombie firms are, but also for the contagion effect, I think yeah. it may matter too. Is is the contagion effect stronger on the on the average firms, but or also on the top firms here? Because you show that the top firms keep on pushing ahead. Would that mean that these top firms are less sensitive to, to, to the presence of zombie firms? Well, because, for instance, they don't the need the, yeah. the resources that get trapped into zombies. They can it's actually the opposite. grow without. So what we, sh yeah. what we show is that uh, it's actually firms of greater than average productivity who, whose growth is constrained by basically the persistence of yes. zombie firms. So, yeah. um, and you, there's a... So what you're saying is that they could actually have, have forged ahead even further. Well, in, in, in <laughs> terms of the... Um, obviously the divergence chart is about within firm productivity. In terms mm -hmm. of their relative size, they could have increased more in terms yeah. of the extent to which resources flow. Their weight in the economy would have increased um, in a counterfactual sense. It would have, would have meant growth would have been higher from an aggregate perspective than otherwise, in a sense. What, what they show is that uh, uh, it's mostly young and innovative firms mm. that uh, suffer from uh, the and just the final thing, um, so you mentioned the Shkavadi paper for Italy, which I mean, we've, we've had a lot of contact with Italy on this, and um, that's probably an understatement. Um, I mean, it's a great paper, and um, I mean, they've got awesome data, and I think um, uh, it's a really interesting framework. Um, let me just say a couple of things. So I think we're coming from this issue from a broader perspective. So they very much focus on the bank firm link. We're interested in a number of reasons why zombie firms can survive, not just the forbearance issue. So we're also interested in the direct effects of weak structural policy as well. So, you know, to the extent that, that they focus on just the bank firm link, um, I think they're only getting at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a fraction of the issue, if you like. Um, the other thing is that when... And then when you dig deeper into the idea of forbearance, um, my recollection, and Philippos can correct me if I'm wrong, is that they focus on, on the allocation of new lending. Yeah. And there's a sense that the forbearance problem in Europe is also about the stock of existing lending. So these are things like repayment holidays and so forth. And so in the paper on breaking the shackles of Philippos, what we do is we focus on a broader measure of bank health. And we think that that may be also able to get at kind of this issue of the stock. So the fact that uh, a bank can not only engage in forbearance by uh, extending a new loan to a firm, but basically affecting the repayment conditions of the existing debt. Um, so, and finally, um, by focusing purely on the bank firm link, I think they're also abstracting from uh, the effect of the, on, on healthy firms of the, of the general impact of zombie congestion on market profitability. So you can imagine that if zombie congestion basically uh, pushes down prices, elevates wages, reduces market profitability, then you can imagine that healthy firms uh, would have let fewer good projects to go to a bank to ask credit for, in a sense. So, um, so I think it's a great paper, um, and, and I think there's actually a lot of complementarities between both work, but I think also we, we're thinking about other elements of this issue as well. But, but I do agree that more work on this is just essential. So, in fact, if I, if I can just follow up uh, on this, uh, I mean, the, the point is that, uh, correctly, as you said, you have a much more general story, and you have a, you have a, a clear identification on, uh, because you have country, time industry, and time fix effect in the, 
in the effects on, on productivity and in the effects on, uh, on capital allocation, um, which, I, which I find interesting because clearly there is an effect there. Uh, and I might be inclined in believing that it's harder to claim that it's just correlation due to spurious effects and therefore it's worth exploring. Then when one channel is credit, uh, so the idea that the effect goes through the banking system that is affected by firms, Fabiano is telling you that, yes, there is evidence on the bank, but that doesn't translate into the aggregate picture because maybe they're just looking at new I agree that the stock is crucial, the new lending is just a fraction of it. And then you start, you, you instead say that it's actually one of the channel, but then the point is that there is this um, uh, technical gap in identification in your story that you are between sectors rather than within sectors because of data limitations. So here, this point is where I would really like to, to dig deeper and, and you know, try to, to do more work on this. Absolutely. I mean, the, when we use the SAFE surveys for four countries, yeah, we have yeah. a lot fewer observations. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, so, I, yeah, but we accept that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So. so we're almost at the end, but I'd like to go for one more round of very quick questions. Uh, how many do we still um, have? Two. But really try to be very concise in your question because we're running out. Um, my name is Benjamin Hageloch. I'm assistant uh, in the European Parliament, um, and I, yeah, have maybe one one comment or, or some more ideas on on it, and um, the question as a follow up. Uh, so first, first of all, if I understood it correctly, you identify those uh, zombie firms in a way. How how much uh, do they create a great uh, yeah, <laughs> so, so, sorry, I, I kind of uh, lost it. Um, my, my problem is when, when you def define it on the interest that those companies uh, create, um, in which way is this cr uh, linked to the interest rates that, that the central banks ask for or, or that the central banks provide? For, for example, if uh, the central bank sets the interest rates very low, does this also mean that uh, when companies only create this very small interest rate that they can still survive? Uh, and could this, in the long run, kind of um, uh, limit <laughs> competition and uh, in that way, in the end, lead to, to yep. effects that the central bank doesn't want? That was a. The, I'll, I'll be very, very fast. Um, a, a second idea is um, when we have these effects on zombie companies, do we always also have the same effect on the zombie states that we kind of created in the EU? <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair questions. Just. Hi, uh, Nicolas Philippone from the uh, from the uh, European Commission. I had a question about the uh, the focus you put on insolvency reform. Uh, when I look at the various indicators that you have for your for your um, uh, index, they focus a lot on restructuring, early warning, and uh, rehabilitation. Something which is in a sense very close to the to the directive that or proposal for a directive by the Commission, but which does not seem to tackle the ability of the insolvency system to actually wipe out the non-viable non firms. And, um, and basically what you want to ensure is that when you get into liquidation, that is something which is done very quickly. And um, all the, all the um, 
zombie firm, in a sense, belong to the grave. And so you would like to have an indicator telling you to what extent the insolvency system is able to put them in the grave. And I'm not sure to what extent this is something that you measure. Yep. Yep. So something I'd better the bet from the... Okay, that's the last question. <laughs> yep. <coughs> Thank you very much, very in, impressive paper, and also, also very multidimensional uh, how you tackle the issue. Uh, Anders Krasnjic, DJ Employment, uh, on the active labor market policies, and uh, did you, you said that you controlled for the cycle of, uh, of, of, of development, but still, uh, let's say we have still an issue with unemployment, in, uh, particularly in Greece, and letting of the, those non-productive firms go out of the business of zombie firms, it's not given that those people would uh, would be rehired through active labor market policies because you, you can trade them all you want, but if there are no jobs, they would hardly start any new businesses. And being low productivity is still better than no productivity at all for overall economy. And uh, what, what, what is your thinking on this area? Yeah. Okay. So a few more cyclical, can we have a quick answer? Yeah. Yep. So ju just let me uh, address the first question, uh, um, which was, if I understand cor correctly, about another possible channel of um, you know, keeping the zombie firms alive, which is uh, uh, by having easy monetary policies. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, this is certainly a, it's a fascinating issue, uh, which of course goes back before the crisis, you know, and, and could indeed um, uh, explain some of the misallocation that was observed uh, before the crisis. Uh, it became even stronger during the crisis with quantitative uh, easing and you know, unconventional monetary policy and so on. Uh, of course, these policies had uh, a, a reason. Uh, so, you know, at, you know, at best, the, the, the question is that whether there were kind of uh, undesired side effects uh, mm -hmm. which haven't been uh, um, taken into account uh, sufficiently. Uh, but it's still, I mean, it is a very relevant issue. Uh, there are there are various channels through which uh, this kind of easy money can uh, can um, uh, be related to uh, the productivity slowdown. One is perhaps by uh, uh, reducing the opportunity cost of uh, lending uh, to uh, zombie firms. Another one is by giving more incentives to investors to to look for a high yield uh, um, uh, returns, which uh, which may be, uh, for instance, related to uh, issuance of bonds by firms that are not necessarily the the highest productive ones, and so on. Uh, I, this is, as I say, is it's a fascinating issue. It's a very broad issue. It opens up a whole set of other, uh, you know, uh, um, questions, and we, I don't think we can exhaust it here. But I will uh, point out that we are working on it, and that. Um, there will be in January uh, a conference uh, organized jointly with the, the BIS and the IMF, which is uh, devoted expressly to that. Uh, I will leave some copies of this. This is uh, co-sponsored by the Global Forum on Productivity. So I will leave uh, here a couple of copies of, uh, of this folder in which you'll find information about that. Uh, it's on the 10th and 11th of January, and we have a lot of papers dealing with uh, this, precisely this, uh, this set of, uh, 
of yeah. issues. Okay. <laughs> so, Thank you very yeah. much. That's a good way to, to end the discussion here, to <laughs> say that there is still quite a lot uh, on the research agenda uh, here. That's not to say that the work that you've been doing uh, is, is really very great. Uh, here already helps quite a lot uh, to push the, the discussion at a much higher uh, evidence-based level here. But I think the many questions also already identified that this is continuing work here uh, that needs to, to, to be continued here. And here, 